0: One of the marks of a believer is a desire to understand the times in which he or she lives. There is that burden. The men of Issachar, described again in First Chronicles chapter 13, 12, Sorry, were those men which had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. And so I know this congregation, and I know that it is your burden to seek to discern the times in which we live, to know how we should live and how we should think in this particular age. We are not those who seek to cut ourselves off from the world. We're not those who seek to be so separate from the world that we're not engaged with the world in its present time. We want to engage with the world with the truth. And we know, we know that today the need of the times are for souls to come to knowledge of Christ Jesus. It is Christ that changed everything. And knowing Christ changed the hearts of men that then turned things around even in the time that we live. And so, knowing that souls must hear Christ and must know Christ, we then understand the necessity of proclaiming the Word. It is through the Word of God that souls are brought to knowledge of Christ Jesus. But as we look at our own times, we realize in understanding these times that the Word of God is increasingly out of favor. I'm not just talking about the Word of God being removed from schools, as tragic as that is, but I'm talking about the Word of God being neglected in the homes of so many. The Word of God is something that even in the Christian church is perhaps picked up once in the Lord's Day, or perhaps not even picked up at all because it's put upon a screen in front of the people. They never actually hold the Bible in their own hands. The Bible has become more and more neglected as a rule of faith and practice. And of course, in the secular world, the Word of God has become more and more hated. For the Word of God teaches things that are against the spirit of the age. And so the need of the times is the salvation of sinners. But there are hindrances upon the Word. And those hindrances may well be increasing. And so Paul could say, The word of God is not bound, but can we do the same? Maybe it's just true in Paul's day. Maybe it's not true for us at this time. See, as we try to understand the times, we also usually understand the times through our understanding of the end times. How you understand the end of all of this will often govern how you understand the day in which you live. And the various views have various ideas about how things will continue and develop. The premillennial schools, and various schools of thought in that regard, they will see things getting progressively worse, worse and worse until something happens and, again, different ideas of what might happen next. It's even true that even in the amillennial school there's also a very similar view of an advancing apostasy and iniquity, a realization that in these last times men will... Be lovers of self more than God. There'll be a falling away, a man of sin being revealed, the language of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and 2. We realize that, we see in those various schools that things will get worse and worse. For those who hold to a post millennial theology, the idea that Christ will come after a triumphant period of time on the earth, a triumphant reign, they are looking for hopeful expectation that things will get better under the word. But they wrestle with the fact that things are terrible right now. So we all wonder, what is happening to the Word of God today? Regardless of your view of the end times, I think we should all come to the joint conviction that the Word of God is not bound. And so we may, even this very congregation, we may see the next ten years 50 years of the Lord spares, and so on. We may say, see things going differently according to your views. But what about today, right here and now? Things are not good. The Word of God is not favored. The need of the art is for men to know the Word and believe the Word, but yet there seem to be hindrances all around us. And so, is the Word actually really bound? Is it really hindered? Paul is here using a play on words. He's describing his own trouble. He's being persecuted unjustly as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. He's in bonds for the gospel. But in this play on words, while he is bound, while he is not free, the word of God is not bound. In other words, the word of God is free. You see, Paul is restricted in function, he's not at liberty to travel. He's not at liberty to speak to various people. He finds himself in bounds. He is restricted, but he gives the contrast, but the Word of God is not restricted. The Word of God is free, free to function according to God's intent. The Word is not restricted in the accomplishment of the purpose of God's. Now when Paul says the Word of God is not bound, what is he talking about? Is he just referring to the Scriptures? Well, well, in part, but probably not primarily at this point. He's referring to the word that is the gospel, verse number eight. Remember Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And in that verse, we saw it last time. We're in this portion, we saw verse 8 describes the incarnation of Christ Jesus all the way through to his resurrection. The gospel of Paul is the gospel that centers upon Christ Jesus, and he calls it good news. It is according to my good news, my gospel, verse number 8. And the gospel then is used directly in parallel to the term in verse number 9, the Word of God. And so the Word of God is Paul's term for the gospel at this point. Is that gospel going to be put into the Bible? Of course it is. But it is a term for the gospel at this point. And it's a very suitable term. The Word of God, of course, speaks of the subject that is Christ Jesus. The word that is used here is the word logos. It's a word you know. It occurs, of course, uh, chiefly in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And you see in John chapter 1, the exaltation of the person of Christ Jesus. He is God, yet he is with God. And the word that was God, with God, is the word that was made flesh. And so when Paul speaks of the word of God and the gospel, he's talking about the person and work of Christ Jesus. And so the word that is not bound here is the truth regarding Christ in His person and in His work. But the word that speaks of the subject is also the word that speaks of the sharing of Christ. The sharing of the gospel. It's not bound. That implies that, doesn't it? The gospel is not bound in that it shares Christ. Look what he says. I suffer trouble as an evildoer even unto bonds. But the Word of God is not bound. It's free. And the implication is, of course, that the truth of Christ Jesus is freely being shared across the world. While Paul can't travel, the Gospel can travel. While Paul can't speak to some, the Word cannot be silenced. It's not bound. And so the word here is the truth that is proclaimed. And so Paul's language here, the word of God is not bound, is describing the freeness of the spread of the gospel despite restrictions and persecutions. The word of God is free. What gives Paul this confidence? You see, when you answer that question, you then can answer the question I asked earlier on, can we share this confidence? What is it that gives Paul the assurance that the word of God is not bound? Well, you'll see in your outline that I'm certain three separate things that really give Paul this confidence. First of all, his confidence begins in light of his confidence in God himself. His confidence in God. From his knowledge of God comes this conviction that the word of God is not bound. Remember our our motto text from last year? The people that they know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Your knowledge of God governs your conduct. Again, just let me just take a quick aside. If you find yourself struggling with some particular sin or temptation in a particular sin, those struggles are corrected by a proper knowledge of God. It is a knowledge of God that leads to obedience. And when there is disobedience, there is some flaw in the person's knowledge of God. But when we rightly know God, then we find ourselves rightly walking in the ways of God and being confident in the ways of God. You see, the people that know their God shall be confident despite the circumstances around them. And Paul's confidence, of course, is in the will of God. Turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to show you this primarily in Paul's own language. We can go to the Old Testament, of course. You could turn back there and I could show you this in the Old Testament, but I'm seeking to show you it particularly in Paul's own words, emphasizing that these were things that he held to be true. 1 Timothy chapter 2, of course, gives the exhortation to pray for those in authority, pleasing to God. And then verse 4 says, God or Savior, your, verse 3, will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. It's a declaration of the will of God to bring sinners to repentance and knowledge of truth. Now, I know, and you well know, you've got to be careful in how you understand the phrase, all men. Yes, certainly you've got to realize that the all men is similar to the all that's referred to in verse number two, all sorts of people, all sorts of men, all sorts of authorities. Verse number one, sorry, prayers made for all men. We we can't possibly pray for every single individual. It's praying for all sorts of people, and so it is in verse four, who will have all sorts of people be saved, primarily Jews and Gentiles, because only one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But leaving aside that qualification, it is a clear declaration of the intent of God to save souls it is God's will God's desire God's good pleasure who will desire who does desire to have all men to be saved his will his desire is that souls come to know the truth and how do they come to know the truth but by the word of God and therefore it is impossible for God's will to be thwarted. It's impossible for the word of God to be thwarted, thereby preventing men from coming to know the truth. The will of God is primarily the principle that encourages Paul that the word of God is not being bound. We also think of the mercy of God. God who wills salvation is a God who delights in showing mercy, Going back to Romans chapter 9, I'm not deliberately picking controversial texts, but they are the texts that I think are helpful to illustrate this point. Romans chapter 9, and so often we read Romans chapter 9 in terms of God's determination not to save individuals. So the question arises, does God choose all men? Does God will the salvation of all men? And we go to Romans 9 and say, well, no. Jacob, I loved thee, so I hated this this portion proves that God does not show mercy in all. And yet we lose the thrust of the section, verse number four, 15. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy. You stop there. God's declaration that he is determined to show mercy. Oh yes, the objects of that mercy are according to his good pleasure. He will show mercy on whom he'll show mercy and will have compassion on whom he'll have compassion. But the point I'm making is that God is not reluctant to show mercy. It is His eternal purpose to show mercy. He's a God that delights to show mercy. He will show mercy. It's a declaration of absolute intent. I will show mercy and no one can stop me. Isn't that wonderful? That God is absolutely committed to show mercy in this world. And though the agents of the devil in this world seek to thwart God, they cannot stop God showing mercy. The power of God also. You see, when you think of God's will and God's heart, His will to save, His heart to show mercy, and you couple that with the power of God, you then see God's power to achieve His purposes. God is stronger than any that oppose the word. And so while man can chain an apostle, man cannot hinder the power of God's. Paul believed in God's power working in his ministry. You go back to Acts chapter 26. I'm going to turn you to Acts chapter 26 because the context here is again of Paul in bonds. He find himself in a situation where he's in trouble and he's bearing witness and testimony before Agrippa. And he describes, verse number 19, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. And then he describes what he does. So the vision was a vision that he received in the road to Damascus to open the eyes of the Gentiles and to turn from darkness to light, verse 18. And he wasn't disobedient to that vision, but went to Damascus, Jerusalem, throughout the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles. They should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. So I find myself again in trouble for the preaching of the gospel. And then what he says, verse 22, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day. It is the help of God that enabled him to continue in gospel ministry despite the persecution and despite the chains. He believes it's the power of God that allows him to minister. But of course he understands that power was not restricted to himself. That's his very point right now. He knows that the power of God is manifested in the gospel itself. Remember Romans chapter 1? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. You see, his hope in souls being saved does not rest in his zeal or his stubbornness, but in the fact that God uses the gospel to work his power in the lives of sinners. The gospel is everything the sinner needs, and God turns people's hearts through the preaching of the word. And so the word of God is not bound. Paul's convictions regarding God underscores that conviction. It is God's will to save. It is God's heart to show mercy And it is God's power that is executed in the saving of souls and all through the Word. You see, if you're still in Acts, you could turn back to Acts chapter 18. Because all of this came together in Paul's discouragement as he faced it in Corinth. He's having a time of difficulty. And the Lord says to him, verse number 9, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. And no man shall certainly hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months. It is the reality that God had his people in Corinth that enabled Paul to continue to preach the word of God despite the fears and the persecutions that he was encountering. The word of God is not bound because of his confidence in God. But secondly, briefly, he understands the word of God not to be bound because of his assurance of Christ's success. Paul's labors are labors in Christ. In light of what Christ has done, he labors and he prays. His prayers are in light of Christ's work. He knows that Christ's work will not fail. Again, I could turn you back to Isaiah chapter 53. Christ shall see the travel of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many the success of Christ's work. But turn to Romans chapter 8, please. Again, to show you this is Paul's convictions. Romans chapter 8. You see, Paul understands the word of God is not bound. So that those who are foreknown are those who will be glorified. Verse 29 through 30. Whom he did foreknow, them he also glorified. Uh, You can run the chain all the way through that and see the beginning and the end of those verses. They come together. Those whom God foreloved, he also glorified. Therefore, the word of God is not bound. The word of God cannot, in some way, be restricted to prevent those who are foreloved from coming to know the word of God and being saved. It cannot happen. But look what he says in verse number 34. What is it that undergirds this confidence? It is Christ that died, yea, rather it is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. It is the success of Christ's work that gives Paul the confidence that those who are known, are called, are justified, and are glorified. Christ's death cannot be in vain. That's a conclusion. By the way, that is one of the most important reasons for believing in particular redemption. Christ cannot be frustrated in the outcome of his death. What he does in his death will certainly come to pass. He died to save sinners, and sinners absolutely will be saved. He cannot be thwarted. And because we understand Christ, think of the logic here. Christ died to save sinners. His purposes cannot be thwarted. But we know that sinners are saved by hearing the word of God. Therefore, there can be nothing preventing the sinner hearing the word of God. The word of God cannot be bound. That if God has his love set upon an individual, the word cannot be kept from that individual. It's going to be free to get to them whereby they hear it and come to believe it and Christ will succeed in the purpose for which he died. Christ's success. The same is also taught in Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, these are just two examples. the are two very common examples and two very well-known examples. Here Paul is dealing with the enemy of death. Can death hinder the word of God? Surely that could happen. Someone could die before they hear the word of God. Before they hear the word of God and be saved. Well, Paul says in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the word of the Lord, for as, ye, for, as ye, for as much sorry as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor is not profitless. You're a laborer in the Word of God. It's not without benefit. It's not without success. But what's the ground of that? Verse 57 But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's Christ's work that secures the victory and secures that our labors are not pointless. It's not pointless to share the gospel with your children, it's not pointless to share the gospel with your neighbors. It's not pointless to preach the Word of God in a building like this. Because Christ has succeeded in His work and thereby we have the confidence that the Word of God is not bound. One last reason. His experience in gospel preaching. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2 makes this assertion, the Word of God is not bound. And it is my persuasion that That in part, he learned that principle from a previous time when he was in bonds. And so I want to turn you back, please, to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to spend some time in Philippians chapter 1 and indeed end our studies here today. Philippians chapter 1, and the verse number 12, the Word of God says this, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Nobody mentions his bonds. Verse number 14. Much or waxing confident by my bonds. Bonds. And in the context of his bonds, he says in verse number 12, that those bonds have fallen out to the furtherance of the gospel. Now, I need to give some background here. The letter to, to Philippi is one of four letters known as the prison epistles. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Now in Acts, in the book of Acts, you read of four separate imprisonments. Philippi in Acts 16, Jerusalem, Acts 21, Caesarea, Acts 23 and following, and then Rome in Acts 28. The view of most is that Paul wrote these four prison epistles during the Roman imprisonment of Acts chapter 28, many years before 2 Timothy chapter 2. And so, what you see here in Philippians is previous experience that is governing his present thoughts in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I think it's likely that it is the Roman imprisonment. Clearly, Paul is in that Roman imprisonment in Acts chapter 28, and there are soldiers who are guarding Paul. And that's the reference to the palace there in verse number 13. It's the praetorium guard that's mentioned there in verse 13. He's also able to receive visitors. That's clear. And he's able to bear testimony to his faith in that Roman imprisonment of Acts chapter 28. But the point for us today is that Paul is writing this letter while he's in chains. It's an earlier imprisonment. He's imprisoned again now, 2 Timothy chapter 2. But the cause of his early imprisonment was his faith in Christ Jesus, his service for Christ, and God's working in that imprisonment has strengthened his servant even to the end of his days. Note the words, the furtherance of the gospel. This word furtherance speaks of advancement. It's drawn from the word for profit. For, for, for going forward, for progressing. The thought is of gain or improvement or progress. You think of it, building a road. Perhaps nobody here has built a road. Okay, fine. But most of you have driven the turnpike. For good or for bad. Do you know the turnpike? You head west towards Pittsburgh. And you suddenly see a mountain in your way. Well, you don't. Because there was a tunnel built. And they dug through the tunnel. That's this word. It's making a way through an obstacle to to enable progress. It's a beautiful word picture of what's happening here. The the situation is is perilsome. Paul's in prison. But God is able to dig a tunnel through that situation for the progress of the gospel. And so Paul has his conviction. He's saying his imprisonment acted in that regard. He was bound, but the word of God was not bound. The word of God was not hindered, even though it seems to be the case. You see, think of the possibility here. The possibility is that Paul's imprisonment would be a potential obstacle to the progress of the gospel. Here I've got to acknowledge something. Paul does acknowledge at times that he is hindered in his ministry. First, Thessalonians chapter 2, he says this, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. He refers to being hindered, is he is he contradicting himself? Is he saying one thing but saying the other thing? He also says in Romans 15, For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. It's actually interesting. The word to hinder that's used there in those verses is a word that is used as an obstacle in a road to prevent the enemy from advancing. It's used in the army. Hinder. What does an army do? They put obstacles in the way, hindrances in the way, and Satan certainly put blocks, roadblocks in Paul's way. Paul acknowledges that he may be hindered, he may be restricted. But the word of God is not bound. You see, there is the possibility that imprisonment would hinder the word. It certainly seems the case that the Philippians were unsettled in their confidence. Look, look how he says, verse number 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen, rather unto the furnace of the gospel. The idea being that they, their presumption was that Paul's imprisonment would hinder the gospel. And Paul's saying, that's not the case. You might think that way, but that's not the case. But we do acknowledge that when the roadblocks come in the preach of the gospel, it shakens our faith. We wonder what God is doing. It also perhaps caused fear. There were those who certainly likely were Fearful. Because it says in verse number 14, And many, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold. Are now much more bold. Difficulties can bring fear upon the church. There's the obvious concern that such a key figure being arrested would cause a hindrance in the preaching of the gospel. Obstacles. The possibility that Satan can hinder the work of God and prevent the gospel going forward. This is something I want you to store up, please. As I said, I don't know how your end times view will impact how you see the future going forward, but it may well be the case that in coming days there are things that seem to be roadblocks in the preaching of the gospel. Things may come into the church and outside the church that seem to make the gospel preaching more difficult. It may not be here, it may be in the mission field, and we'll find ourselves struggling to take the Word of God forward in that particular mission field. And there are hindrances, obstacles. Realize that such obstacles are no obstacle to God. And those hindrances cannot hinder the purpose of God. The Word of God is not bound. And Paul's saying that. And so while the possibility is that Paul's imprisonment would hinder the Word of God, the actuality is different. Look what he says, what happens. You see, when he he's been imprisoned, His imprisonment clarifies his situation to the world around. Verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. Manifest refers to something being made known. His bonds enable something to be made known. Well, what? Well, the palace speaks, as I said, of the praetorium, the place where the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, would have have been barracked. The palace guard. And Paul was kept, we know from Acts chapter 28, he is kept in close supervision with the guards acting in shifts. They would guard him in turn. And so Paul would come into contact with many, many soldiers. But what does Paul do in prison? He dictates letters. And he prays with God's people. And he sings psalms. He praises his God. And the soldiers are there, and they're in the hearing of all of this. They are eyewitnesses to the confidence of Paul in the gospel. And they are eyewitnesses also to the fact that Paul is in chains, not as a bad man, but because he's a man of unshakable faith and conviction in Christ Jesus. And so the reason for his chains are then made manifest in the palace guard, and I believe from the soldiers then to the wider community. His chains are being used by God for the furnace of the gospel. It's also clear that his chains work to empower believers in their witness for Christ Jesus. Verse number 14, and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds. There are believers in Rome at that time. We know that from Acts chapter 28. There are some who believe. Oh, yes, the Jews struggled. But some believe the things which are spoken, and some believe not. Acts 28 verse 24. But here Paul is saying that their faith is strengthened. Paul's conduct in his trial has encouraged the believers. And the Lord, using Paul, has strengthened their faith, and their service advanced. They are now much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. The word bold there Again, that's used of Joseph going in boldly to the rulers to get the body of Christ Jesus. That's a failure concept here. But now they're bold, they're courageous to speak the word. You know, it is so important, dear child of God, it is so important to lead by example. You think, well, what, what does my example actually achieve? Well, Paul, as you're showing by example, your example can achieve an awful lot for the good of the kingdom. As a father, as a mother, as a church member, as an elder, as a deacon, all of those things, how you live and how you conduct yourself as a tremendous force in the lives of those around you, encouraging them and leading them forward. He says there's, there's great benefit in observing the character of God's people and seeing God's grace in them. And as you see God's grace in them, so it strengthens your own resolve. That as they endure difficulties... You marvel at God's grace in their lives. And you think to yourself, if I was in chains like Paul was, I'd crumble to nothing. But look what Paul does. How? By the grace of God in him. And so you're also strengthened as you see this. Again, total random aside, please read Christian biographies. Read the stories of the heroes of the faith. That you'll be strengthened as you see what God does through them. Make that a regular practice. Read good Christian biographies. There are some on the back corner uh, in front of me right now. That you may strengthen your faith. You see, I think we should all make it our purpose to seek to encourage others in God's purposes. Paul is a striking example of a Barnabas. Of an encourager who in his writings encourages the church despite their difficulties. Now, does he sugarcoat reality? No. He talks about men of sin and iniquity abounding. He talks about last days when trouble comes upon the church. You think of Romans chapter 1. They're being given over by God. He's not ignoring reality, but he lives in reality with great confidence. And you find him as an encourager. And he encourages others in God's purposes. And dear child of God, can I encourage you? Be an encourager of others by your faith in God's purposes. More than discouraging others by your mourning over the present situation. And we look at the news. It is terrible. But God's glorious. And so we in the church, we can continually point people. Look at this and look at this and look at this. And we share all of this. And we don't exalt the glory of our God whose word is not bound. You see, we have a God who is determined to save souls. We have a God who delights in showing mercy. We have a God who freely shows his power in the lives of sinners as they come to Christ Jesus. That's our unchanging God. And this wicked world cannot thwart the purpose of God. God. And so Paul has this abiding testimony. The imprisonment seems to be a bad thing to happen for the work of the gospel. And we look at this world and we perceive the situation we live in today and we may draw conclusions that are not accurate. We may draw conclusions whereby we believe that things happening today are going to prevent God from working. God is able to work in the darkest of days. And he often does his great work in the darkest of days. And so I say again, I am not suggesting for a second that we pretend that things aren't bad. But because things are bad, we put our hope in God. The glorious God who always does what he wills for his glory and for his honor. He says, I close today. Let me remind you God's purposes are unstoppable. No mountains in God's way stop God from doing what he wills to do. His word shall be that that goes forth out of his mouth, it shall not return unto him void. How often all seems to be lost for the people of God. Abraham has no son. And the people are oppressed in Egypt, the Red Sea. And an angry army surround the people. David's son rises in rebellion. And David flees Jerusalem. The son of God hangs on a cross and is buried. The disciples are thrown to prison. And so on and so on. All seems to be lost. But Christ must reign till he put all enemies under his feet. The purposes of God are unstoppable. That is how we live. And that is how we must pray. Please turn Second 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and with this we'll close. See, Paul is praying, or Paul is asserting the word of God is not bound. And in that conviction, he tells the believers in Thessalonica, verse chapter, sorry, chapter 3 of Second Thessalonians verse 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Remember the picture here? Hindrances. Furtherance. Paul is saying, pray that the word will go forward without obstacle and without hindrance. It will run freely. That's the language here. He's telling us again, pray the purposes of God. Don't pray something that God has not said he'll do. But God has made it clear the word will not be bound. Therefore we can pray, Lord, may the word run freely and be glorified. You pray this prayer because you believe the word of God is not bound. So the challenge is to pray for the word of God to do God's will in this world. You know, there are all of you here in this building right now today. And the word of God was not hindered from getting to your soul. You've all heard the word. Today and other days. And the question I leave with you. What is the word of God doing in your soul today? See, God sends his word for two purposes. The sun that can melt is the sun that can harden the clay. And so you, under the preaching of God's word, find yourself at a point to ask yourself the question, what is the word word of God doing in my life right now? Does it draw me to faith in Christ? Or is it hardening my soul in rejection of the gospel? May God have mercy upon your soul. Let's bow, please, in prayer. Oh, eternal God and Father, we pray you'd help us to live by faith and not by sight. That the great purpose of redemption would continue before our minds, that we would realize, oh Lord, that you're doing your will, a will that you've accomplished day by day, and a will that was determined before time began. And none can stay your hand or say unto you, what doest thou? So help us to live by faith to pray in faith, to, to proclaim the word in faith. And dear Father, we pray that you would, you would stop wicked men from hindering the word. We, we pray for that. Don't allow that to happen, O oh Lord. But Whatever man may do, may your word go forward for souls to come to Christ Jesus, that you would show your mercy and your grace and exalt Christ among us. Thank you again for this time together. Help us to walk humbly with thee in Christ's name. Amen.